ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to episode number 92 of the Primetime Rundown right here on the Eastern Observer. Alongside Mike Zabo, I'm Joey Jorzinka. And who is that down there, Mike? Oh my goodness, that is someone that used that we used to know. Oh my goodness, it's Rob DeLuca, everybody. Oh, he's back. DeLuca, look who it is. Seaside. How are you, buddy? Ah, uh, you know, it is so good to be back on the primetime rundown after what is probably like a, I don't know, too too many episode hiatus, you know, being being demoted by you guys, you know, it really, really, <laughs> really sucked, you know, it's got to say it hurt, but it's good to be back in all seriousness. It is great to be back, you know, only here for a little bit, but, you know, had to come discuss a little hockey. There's just too much going on in the NHL world not to come on the best podcast and talk about it. Oh, amen to that, Rob DeLuca. Mike Zabo, good to see you, sir. And, of course, we're still having some some issues with you and your, and your wee over there in Queens. But how are things going for you, sir? Ah, going well, and we already know we're in for a special episode with the great return of Rob, so all things going up from here on out. <laughs> Wait, oh, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi problems, Joe? It, sound, it, it just sounds like another day in Queens for, for Mike here, you know, <laughs> or, or wherever he may be from. So it's just, I, I, hard to say, but I think overall he'll be all right. But, yeah, that storm, Mother Nature's kicking in. She's not being friendly today. It was a very violent storm down here just about – an hour ago. Yeah, absolutely. And some violent storms out here on the Northeast as well. So it is definitely good to have you back, Rob DeLuca. And Mike, good to see you as well. Let's get you started in a few short moments. But first, our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Be sure to download their newest album called Free Cake, which is out now. Play loud. Listen on Apple Music, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, Pandora, and Spotify. And also, from what we were told as well, is that there were a couple of songs that were actually put on onto Sirius XM. Uh, we don't know what channels, but that's what we were told, that a uh, few of his songs have been put on uh, on Sirius. So All that right. is some pretty good stuff. So here in episode number 92, of course, ladies and gentlemen, we will be welcoming Rogers Sportsnet's Eric Francis, senior columnist and analyst for Rogers based in Calgary. We'll be talking about the Matt Kachuk trade and the Jonathan Huberdeau return up to uh, up north of the border. And of course, our good friend Eric Francis was the first to sit down with Matt Kachuk uh, on Saturday following the blockbuster trade uh, that sent Kachuk uh, south and stateside to uh, to the great state of Florida and Huberdeau and Uyghur the other way. Of course, later on, too, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking Major League Baseball, of course. We're about one week away from the trade deadline. We'll be talking about Juan Soto, how much the Nationals want for him, who are the front runners for him, and then, of course, the Yankees. They have a little bit of an injury problem now. Michael King, a big part. He is now on the 60-day IL with an elbow fracture. We'll be talking about that. And, of course, in the AL East, Toronto has won six straight. Big 28-5 victory on Friday against Boston. They, Boston that is, have lost four straight and one of nine in their last ten. David Ortiz and Jim Cott and, of course, Gil Hodges as well. Uh, They are now enshrined into Cooperstown. So that's some pretty cool stuff we'll be talking about. All of the black alternate uniforms as well in the NFL. And we will be talking about, of course, a few more sports updates. And we'll, of course, be finishing our show with kudos. Well, it is 7.05 and we do have Eric Francis with us. And it looks as if, Eric, that you are here with us. And thank you so much. Uh, Looks like uh, 
you are on land, not driving. So thanks for joining us. How are things north of the border? Uh, things are good. I'm up at my uh, my cottage, and uh, things got all shifted around. I thought I was going to be driving because I was hoping to play golf today, but these flames keep me so damn busy lately <laughs> and decided to make Huberto and uh, Wegar available. So spoke to them this morning. I uh, just finished banging out a column, and uh, – and for me, it's summertime officially because this is it, right? The planes won't do anything else from now to till September, will they? Please tell uh, me no. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talk now that we continuously hear possibly Nazem Kadri, uh, yeah. maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, spoken about by uh, Brad Treveling in the Flames. But of course, Eric, uh, it is a surreal introduction. Of course, senior columnist and analyst for Rogers Sportsnet, based in Calgary, Eric Francis. And uh, you know, Eric, the first thing you know that I got a chance to read your exclusive article um, with with Matt Kachuk following the trade. And the cool thing that I got to, to to know about Matt here was it seems as if that from everything that we've heard here stateside and we've heard so many different things about, you know, the way Matt Kachuk plays, sometimes a little bit selfish and, you know, possibly that could um, that could be also outside of the rink as well. It seemed to me that, you know, when you were talking to him, you really got a good uh, a good sense of who he is human-wise and outside of hockey, and he doesn't seem that selfish at all. Well, you know, I've, I've covered Matt for six years, and uh, I, I think he's the consummate pro, consummate hockey player. Like, that, I say this all the time. I know now it's almost become commonplace to call him a unicorn, but, like, there's nobody in the league with a skill set like his. But also – few people in the league who've had the, the background, the upbringing that he's had. So, you know, he always tells me, he used to always tell me that the two things his dad said were work hard and be a good teammate. And, uh, you know, that was one thing he kind of said to me when he was talking to me on Saturday was, you know, I hope that I'm remembered in Calgary as being just a great teammate and a guy who was easy to work with and didn't rock the boat and was all about just having, you know, being a good guy and being a good influence on the room. And I think he is. Like, I, I don't think there's any question if the Calgary Flames would have been able, to, been able to keep him long term, they would have stitched the C on his jersey before the ink was dry on his contract. And I think they would have made him captain last year or the year before, uh, last year after they lost Mark Giordano. But they knew that this contract issue was looming. And what I thought was so interesting is, you know, I've, I've been writing for years that Matthew Kachuk would leave and, and that Johnny Gaudreau would leave. And, and I think Austin Matthews will leave. And I was saying this on Toronto Radio the other day, and nobody liked that. To, but I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you what I think is really going to happen. And I think these guys, I'll say it this way. I love my city of Calgary. I chose here 27 years ago. I think it's the greatest city in the world. But if I had a choice between this and 32 cities in North America, I sure as hell wouldn't be living in Calgary. And I, and I don't say that was as any slight with to Calgary. When these guys have a choice, and it's very rare in your career that you get a choice to choose where you want to play, I don't blame any of them for wanting to go somewhere else, whether it's the States, whether it's Canada, whether it's, you know, the, the deep South, whether it's East, West, I don't care. You have that choice. I would exercise that. So Matthew Kachuk said he signed a three-year bridge deal so that he could make that choice. And here he is making it. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's very funny you bring that up because now there's also the rumor too that, um, you know, and not even the rumor only that, but we continuously hear, Eric, about the the Flames, uh, the arena situation and about the Saddle Dome. Um, you know, did, did from from what I gathered in your article too is that you know he didn't really go that deep into really what 
you know, led him to leave. But do you feel that in terms of impending free agents and, you know, this retool and, and I saw on your, on your column today, you use the word retool and, and you can ask Mike and, and Rob uh, to the right of you. Uh, I kept saying retool did not say rebuild because you still got no. a ton of solid players up there. And this team is here to compete, but we'll get to that in a few short moments. But how much of, of the uh, arena issue do you believe plays an impact on these free agents and some of the, uh, the current players in Calgary and potentially, you know, re-upping? I, I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with the arena. I mean, I think that's, a, I don't think it helps that they don't have an arena and there's no one in sight. Although I do think that's going to change soon. Yeah. I, I think that I don't think it helps. Yes, the big picture, it's minus 30 here for a week or two every single year. That's the big reason why he wanted to leave. You know, there's a border that during COVID, these guys couldn't see their families for the better part of a year and a half. That was an issue. And I'm, I know there's – I hope there's not going to be another pandemic or another border closing. But, hey, it drove home to everybody that the important thing in life is to be close to people who mean the most to you. So I, I don't think the arena had a big part of it. I, I get that. Moving forward, it could have a part. Like Jonathan Uberdo is going, okay, well, I'll see what it's going to be like in Calgary. I want to see what the room's like. I want to see what this coach is like. I want to see how good the team is. I want to see how cold it gets in Calgary. I want to see if they're going to get an arena. Like, put it on the list, but I think it's pretty low down on the list. Now, as soon as you announce it, you're going to have the arena. And as soon as it gets closer to being built, then I think it's a, it's a piece to make it more attractive for people. But I don't think it's a detractor at this point in time. Mike Zabo, take it away. Mike, we got you. Yeah, so Eric, uh, just going on the Calgary side of things, um, you know, they bring in Huberdo and Wegar. Uh, you know, uh, they get some real good return for it to Chuck. How are Huberdo and Wegar really going to fit in for Daryl Suter? Oh God, it'll it'll be a brilliant fit. I mean, Huberdo obviously is your top line left winger. He'll fit in exactly where Johnny Gaudreau was, and in this city, everybody figured myself included, that Johnny Gaudreau probably is the best playmaker in the NHL right now. Well, Jonathan Huberto had more assists than Johnny Gaudreau last year. So we're about to find out how good a playmaker he is. So he'll be on that top line with Elias Lindholm, and uh, that'll be seamless. He, he joked today, he goes, well, Lindholm scored 40? Well, maybe I can make him a 50-goal scorer. So we'll see. That That's that's the no-brainer of the, on the whole roster. And Mackenzie Wegar will undoubtedly be on that top pairing with Rasmus Anderson, um, you know, Wegar's a right shot, but he can play on the left side, which is perfect because then he can play with Anderson. And uh, then the second pairing in this city is Noah Hannafin with Chris Tanev, and it's a, a really deep blue line. It was the third best D line in the league last year in terms of goals against. They allowed the third most, uh, fewest goals in the league. And I think they got better with Wegar. So those are two top line people, one on the blue line, one at the up front. And uh, I don't think there's any doubt as to where they'll be. I guess you can question who's going to play with uh, Uberdo on the right side, but uh, that's something that I think this coach will have fun uh, kind of playing with. DeLuca, take it away. We'll uh, we'll go around the room. Sure. Uh, yeah, Eric, thanks again for joining us. Uh, so, yeah, you talked about what the additions mean. Let's let's switch over now to the subtractions. What? How is the game plan for the Flames going to change without Johnny Gaudreau and Matt Kachuk? I, I personally think the Kachuk trade was a – huge win for the Calgary Flames. So, yeah. so I think that return was great, but over but you still are subtracting Matthew Kachuk and now Johnny Gaudreau is in Columbus. 
So what do you, what do you see is going to be changing from Daryl Sutter's mind? Maybe how's he going to have to adjust this game plan with a couple new faces coming in? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. And, and, and as for your question, I, I think that, um, you know, one thing that's going to change is they had the best line in hockey last year, you know, end of, end of sentence, like no, t- no line was better statistically or otherwise last year in the national hockey league. These guys were all plus 60 and more. Uh, all of them scored 40 plus goals. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely the most incredible dominance I've ever seen from a line in hockey dating back to like when Lemieux and Yager played together. Um, so that is not something you can lean on anymore. You can't count on them to get a late goal every game you play. You can't count on them to give you a three or four goal cushion sometimes. You're going to have a harder time scoring goals in Calgary. Now, they got better defensively, arguably. They've got one of the best goalies in the league in Markstrom. And I think that you've got a coach who loves players playing on the right side of the puck, playing defensive first hockey. So I think this plays right into what Daryl Sutter wants. He wants this to be a team that is all about defense first, or as he said, as he always says it, for checking first. Uh, he wants them to be a possession, possession team. It's not going to be as easy because you don't have the talent up front that you used to have, but uh, you sure have a pretty, you still have a formidable lineup where I still think you can play a similar brand of hockey moving forward. So it looks as if that we did lose Mike Zabo due to some Wi-Fi issues out in uh, in Queens in a little bit. So we'll bring him back in in a few short moments, or there he is now, actually. Um, Eric, the next thing, you know, we continuously see, um, you know, that Andrew Mangiapane is still also, he's a restricted free agent, arbitration eligible. There's still $9 million left, uh, you know, to spend for general manager Brad Trevling. Um have you heard any any updates on where Mangiapane is uh, in this in, in the contract talk? Uh, yeah, I've been speaking to his agent a little bit, and uh, you know they, they haven't come up with a solution quite yet. Um, so I don't anticipate it's going to be a, a significant problem. I, you know, the only question is whether he's going to sign for maybe three years or one year. I, I I can't fathom a scenario where he signs for five, six, seven years in Calgary. I just for the same reasons that Kachuk wanted to keep it a three-year bridge deal. I think these guys want to give themselves the, what if, what if he signs a six, seven, eight-year deal? And then the Flames after next year, they lose Uberdo, they lose Wegar, They decide they're going to completely rebuild. Well, do you want to be part of that? Well, maybe some guys do. And maybe Majapani would be the main man moving forward. But I don't think you want to box yourself in that way. So it is an important negotiation. You know, most people say, well, Andre Majapani, who's he? He had 35 goals last year. And he never played a single minute on the top line or on the top power play. This guy's going to get a bigger role this year and arguably he's going to score more goals than 35 goals. That's a formidable hockey player, an important piece. So they need to get him signed. I'm pretty sure they will. And when they do, it'll leave very little money for the Nazem Kadri rumor or the John Klingberg or insert, you know, sexy player here. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if they're going to have that sort of money to do that. Now, maybe they can, Maybe they can shed some salary by trading away a Milan Lucic uh, or something like that, or, or an Oliver Shillington. Uh, I think they're going to have to make a move on the blue line. They've got 10 guys on one-way contracts. That's something they're going to have to address. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, Manjapani is a huge part of this team, and they'll, they'll probably get that one done. Yeah. And, and also the thing to me too, is, is that, you know, going back to, and, and, and like I said, I, I, I love the fact that you wrote in your most recent column about the retooling. Now you brought up about how potentially you see Mangiapane potentially signing a one-year deal or a three-year deal or anything along those lines where, um, you know, he won't be signing a, a longer term deal. Um, 
in that case, then, if let's just say, for instance, if Trevling does flip Huberdo, if you know he wants to see how Daryl Sutter's room is going to be, uh, Wegar says, yeah, you know, he same here. We might sign here, or they like it so far. Whatever the case may be, yeah. Um, you know, is it is it tough to say? I guess to call it a retool now, when you know, in just a year, it could potentially, you know. I, I guess the, the best way to put it would be is it can go from one extreme to the other. It can go from a oh, yeah. rebuild or to a complete, you know, like we can still contend here. And also keep in mind too, Sean Monahan is also yeah. on a, is in a contract year as well. So, um, you know, for you to see this, it, it's just, what are your thoughts here in terms of, I guess, the, um, the immediate, Calgary plan, if you will. I guess that would be the best, the best question or the best way to put it. Well, you know, it's 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 balls to the wall. Let's go for a cup. I mean, you know, they won the Pacific Division last year. Yeah, yeah. they lost two 100-point players, and that could be devastating. But uh, they replaced them with one, and they added to their defense. Right, right there. It's uh, some people would say it's not quite equal, but it's uh, it's it's approaching equal. Listen, I spoke to Brad Cheerleving the night before he made the trade, and I got to tell you. Like, I wasn't quoting him or anything, but I, it sounded to me like I said, are you going to have to rebuild after this or retool? And he said, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I literally don't know. It all depends what I get back on this trade. We may only be able to get back young futures, and that may force us to go in a certain direction. Maybe we can flip some of those young futures for current players and take one more run. At, like, anyway, he pulled a rabbit out of his hat 24 hours later and a deal that I think showed up on the 24th you know, in the last day possible and before the trade. And uh, and now, you know, given you, you acquired two stars, I mean, there's zero question that they're retooling. They're not rebuilding. There was question beforehand, but not now. Now they're retooling. Sure, next year we'll have to ask the same question again. Um, but the Calgary Flames, you know, they, they, they lose Lucic. They lose Monaghan next year and save a whole bunch of money, which opens the door for them to sign those two guys, or at least one of them. And, um, and then we'll have this conversation again next year as to what they're going to do. Listen, a lot of the teams in the league you could probably go to from year to year and say, listen, are you retooling or rebuilding? Uh, maybe not to the extreme that the Calgary Flames have had the question asked over the last couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, they, they, no, this is a team that can contend for the Pacific Division. Edmonton's going to be the class of the division, but Calgary's going to give them a run for their money. I really believe that. Yeah, it's really it, – it's something else to see what – uh, to see what's gone on in Edmonton and now with Calgary uh, in quote-unquote limbo. Um, the question, I guess, that I, I would have for you before I throw it over to uh, to Rob and to Mike again, there's there was someone that that, that we all know uh, that, that told me a few days ago, not too long after that trade, um, that Calgary would not be able to surpass 80 points next year. Eric, just, th- you know... Throwing it out there, I know it's the summer. You're up at your cottage. You're enjoying the weather. You're enjoying the summer. Can Calgary be an 80-plus point team? If there's someone out there who thinks the Calgary Flames are going to make or get less than 80 points next year, I hope they have a big, big wallet because I would love to take some of that money. I would wager large, massive amounts that the Calgary Flames will be over 80 points. I think the over-under on the Flames – should be probably more around 95, uh, you know, and that's a significant up from 80. Before this trade, I don't know where I would have pegged it. I'll give you that. But right now, you can't say 80 is the over-under. That's absolutely ridiculous. I'd love to know the man who thought that. So 
yeah, no, this is a team, you know, again, even if they have no goal scorers, even if they didn't get Jonathan Huberto and only added Wegar, I'd submit to you that with the defense they have, the goaltending they have, and the system and the coach they have, yeah, they could still challenge for a playoff spot, which is way over 80 points as well. So I, uh, yeah, I'll put me on the over. Over, over, over. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Mike Zabo, you are back. It looks like your Wi-Fi is a little bit better. You changed spots. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so apologize for those issues earlier. But, um, Eric, on the other side of things, on uh, on this on this deal, on the Florida side of things, you know, they bring in to Chuck. They extend him. But they certainly have issues of cap. How do they fit him in and scheme-wise and, of course, still try and get uh, cap compliant before opening night? Not my problem. <laughs> you know, I, I love it. I, I cover the Calgary Flames, and, and sure, I'm aware of their problems. You know, I never worry about a team going over the cap in the summer. That's something they that could easily rectify. Uh, they got tougher decisions to make, but it'll probably come from their fringe players, the third and fourth liners. Um, you know, it was shocking that they they parted ways with Huberto and Wegar. Um, you know, the whole hockey world couldn't believe that, uh, and even you know, reportedly, even Huberto was uh, perplexed that this came because he he didn't have any indication that they weren't going to sit down and work on a long-term deal with him, according to one report. So anyway, I, I, uh, I don't know how they're going to get around it. They'll figure it out. Every team does. And uh, not my issue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a couple of more questions for you, and then we'll let you go and enjoy your summer. Rob DeLuca, take it away. So, Eric, I'm, I'm a little bit of a hypothetical guy. Joey kind of already touched on the futures thing. You, you, that's what, something I would used to do. But, yeah, I've got a different hypothetical. As a New Jersey Devils fan, it seemed like from the rumblings I heard that until Jonathan Huberdeau was offered up to the Flames, it was actually New Jersey that gave Calgary the best offer. So, and that's – and to your point earlier about how this Huberdeau trade is retooling for the Flames as opposed to a rebuild – do you, I think, personally, had they done business with New Jersey, assuming in the trade was a guy like Jesper Bratt or a Yegor Sharangovich and then a couple of draft picks, would would you say in that situation that would mean the Flames are kind of sort of going in another direction and rebuilding if Jonathan Huberto was never offered up and d- business was indeed done with New Jersey as opposed to Florida? Yeah, Huberto was you know puts it over the top into an obvious you know we're gonna try and win now scenario. Um, you know from all the intel I have around the league, there were three teams involved in the possibility of getting Matthew Kachuk, and the New Jersey Devils definitely weren't one of them. I mean, I know that their general manager is uh, cousins with Keith Kachuk, and there's certainly that that relationship there. I know the New Jersey Devils, you know, firmly believe that they had a deal with Johnny Gaudreau in principle at one point in time. But as for Kachuk, uh, there's no way Kachuk would have wanted to go to New Jersey Devils. That's no, also no so just, hard, yeah. I, I, yeah I, no, I heard that too. He wouldn't sign long term. So, yeah, that, that well, I, out. yeah. Yeah, and the only places Kachuk was going to go to, he was controlling all the shots here, were places that he would sign an eight-year extension. And there's no chance he was going to do that in Jersey. So we can play hypotheticals all we want, but uh, New Jersey wasn't in the picture. I'm he- on this Eric, I'm here and I wouldn't do that. I'm in New Jersey and I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't sign an eight-year lease to, be, to live here. So you, 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 can't, you couldn't get me to do that. You had me do it for the first 27 years. Granted, that wasn't much, much of my choice. But, yeah, exactly. But nonetheless, yeah, it's, it's, it's just the way of the world right now. But, yeah, I, I know they were there. But as soon as they heard he wasn't going to sign long term, they dropped out. Well, I know that just talking to Brad, 
Sure living. It's, uh, you know, a lot of teams called asking, hoping that they were on Matthew Kachuk's list. But at the end of the day, there were only a handful of teams. Naturally. And I know two of them right away uh, said, oh, that's really flattering that he'd like to come here. But we don't – we're not interested. Like, we don't have either the, uh, the, the will to give away the pieces you're going to need in return. And we also don't have the ability to pay a guy 10 million right. bucks moving forward. So thanks so much. And we please let Matthew know we appreciate his thoughts, but it's not going to happen here. So he was dealing with three teams. And uh, again, for a GM to, to pull that rabbit out of a hat, when you can only deal with three teams, it's so significant that they got this. I'm assuming he played each one of them off each other pretty well. Yeah. And po- point blank, got to know, was the Sa- were the St. Louis Blues one of those three teams? Yeah, St. Louis and uh, Carolina. Yeah, I, I figured home had to be involved yeah. somehow. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Eric, uh, we cannot thank you so much. We cannot thank you enough for uh, for joining us here during your summer vacation. Now you go enjoy that because uh, I can only imagine up in Calgary, uh, you know, summer only lasts for a few weeks and then it's back to being <laughs> minus 30. <laughs> well, the Flames have already eaten into one month of my summer. They, I'm not letting them touch the second month. So there you go. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. You call me anytime, and uh, and we'll talk again. We'll see. Call me after they sign Wegar. That's my next prediction. They'll <laughs> sign Wegar, and then you call me. And also, we'll have to have you on with the one guy who they know who said that the Flames will not get 75 points. I cannot wait for the rumble there. That would be some good stuff. <laughs> you tell him I take all sorts. It could be American cash, Canadian cash. <laughs> I will take his money any day of the week. As a matter of fact, don't wait till the next podcast. Hook them up with me via email. I want some of that <laughs> Very good. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, senior columnist and analyst for Rogers Sportsnet based in Calgary, Eric Francis. Eric, thank you so much, buddy. We will see you yeah, soon. Cheers. Stay well. Cheers, All boys. Right. Enjoy your summer. Thank you. You as well. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's it has been a, uh, a fantastic time with Eric Francis. Uh, and and the best part about it too, and there we go. We have to uh, flip that back. Uh, actually, let us do that now, just because of the issue here that Rob, or rather that Mike Zabo had. Yeah, yeah. No, don't don't go blaming me now. There we go. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, yeah. So just to let all of our viewers know that yeah, wait, person, who? Wait, yeah, who? That person talking about? That person, Tyler Adele. I should have. Let me get. Let me get the. Uh, let me get the 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 conversation up for one second, and and I'm going to definitely call him out on it. Oh, uh, I'm going to call him right now and just be like, because, no, 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 no. Now that would have been just something. Eric Francis, he's challenging you, Adele. If you're out there listening, Adele, you better be be listening here because he's coming for you, and quite frankly you're going to lose because that's a horrible bet you're placing. That is, that is. And, and I remember he said, and, and he told me, he says, tell me, did you see this trade? I said, just heard. That's an amazing return. So he explains to me, he said, and he, and he, he didn't like it. He's like Florida. He said, Florida gave up too much pathetic yes. team. They, they overpaid, which I said, yes. And then I said, Calgary will definitely compete next year. And he says, not a chance. I said, teams still have, that doesn't make uh, sense. Teams still, teams still have a lot of good pieces. I said, yes, they will. Full year of Monaghan. And, and they'll the compete. Pacific. And, uh, and on top of it, too, they still, they still have Michael Backlund. They still have Elias Lindholm. It's, it's, and it's still the Pacific. It's and, not I did, exactly and I said, and, and I said, and I said, this is what I said. I said, I didn't say that they'll be good. I said, but they will compete. That is for sure. Right. And, no, and that's that, exactly that, what Eric said, the, Here's the newsflash. They're going to be good. 
And on I'll top of it, it too. I'll say it. And he wanted, to, and he wanted to put money on it. And I said, they'll have 80-plus points. He said, you'll owe me $10 when they when they finish seventh. And I said, and I yeah, said, who's I, said shots. I said, first off, I said, no problem. And then he says, the only reason they, they won't finish eighth is because they share a division with Arizona. And I called him out on it. I said, wrong division, buddy. And then we didn't. Right, yeah, he doesn't even know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> See, this is exactly Don't. why he's gonna lose. Yeah, exactly right. Who, who are the Flames gonna be worse than the Sharks? Uh, like, I, well, I, yes, I, actually, the Sharks will be worse. I was gonna how's say, David Quinn, how's David Quinn feeling as your secondary team there, Joey Jazz? <laughs> like, you must 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 think to be yeah. right there. Mike Zabo's laughing all the way to the bank because the Rangers <laughs> are gonna be back in the playoffs and the Sharks are gonna be bottom feeding from David Quinn's fantastic system that worked for them all those years. Well, all I could say is is that, DeLuca, we are very happy to have you home. What really grinds your gears, my man? What really grinds my gears? Apparently tonight it's Tyler Adele. I come back for the first time in two, three months, and Tyler Adele's the one grinding my gears, not knowing <laughs> what he's talking about. And I'm calling him out, too. Get me in on this bet. I want my, I, I'll, I'll take free money. You kidding me? I'm on a cold streak right now. I could use the win. <laughs> Give it to me. Give it all to me. Oh, my goodness. Well, Ian Schreier, of course, who is on extended assignment. We got a chance to see him during our instant reaction. He says, quote, it's great to see my man DeLuca being his vibrant self. As always, welcome home, Rob DeLuca. And, of course, in addition to Al Carl, our Al good Carl. friend Al Carl. Hey there, Rob. And, of course, hashtag Jersey guy. Yes, the best, sir. The best guy on our, our very own partners here on the Eastern Observer Network at the EWP. Al Carl, by far the best being from Jersey. I don't make the rules. It just is the rules. It's just how it works. <laughs> no, no one, I, I don't make the rules. I just think them up and write them down. Okay. That is, that is, that is very true. But ladies and gentlemen, of course, Rob DeLuca is now a recurring host. He has been demoted from host number two down to recurring host number 76. So now it is 7.30 p.m. on the East Coast. That means he's got Pat Sage Jack and Wheel of Fortune to watch. He must go there now while in Seaside and take a peek at that. So, ladies and gentlemen, of course, our good friend Rob DeLuca comes in and saves the day and enjoys a friendly conversation with our good friend Eric Francis. Rob, thank you so much for coming on here, and we will see you hopefully a lot sooner than two or three months. Yeah, I would like to say so. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be back. And, you know, you know, there's – we're, we're, we're approaching a certain number here at the primetime rundown. There's a certain episode number approaching. Mm. I, think, I think that might be a projection on when you might see me next. You know, it's oh, really that would be September 23rd is a special day on the primetime rundown. That we can tell you. Be very nice interesting. Little... You, know, you, never, you never know, but you'll just have to tune in and find out if I'm there then. <laughs> well, you, you can't have a Rob DeLuca appearance without a little tease at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the way I do things, Mike Zabu. <laughs> Mike Zabu is learning. He's so young, but he's, 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 so, he's so interested in learning and understanding how I work. Oh, my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob DeLuca. DeLuca, go enjoy Wheel of Fortune. We will see you soon here on the Primetime Rundown. Thanks, boys. All right. Well, it is now the time for Mike Zabo and myself to take it all away. Mike, we know you did have some uh, some issues there uh, with the Wi-Fi, but Eric Francis, of course, a great man to come on here. Um, and the best part too wasn't he was uh, he was hanging out over at his uh, at, at the at his cottage up there, and uh, you know, or as we say here in the states, summer house or you know, hunting house or anything along those lines. Um, but 
what we do know is, is that just to talk about it here for a quick few moments is, is that I think the, the best part here is for Calgary, they're retooling. Florida has exactly what Eric said, not his problem, not Calgary's problem, but you're right. Florida has a lot of problems now. And I think what they might try and do is might ship off someone like a Patrick Hornquist who sits with a $5.5 million AAV contract uh, with one year left. Uh, they're going to try and ship them off. But the problem is, is that what Florida has uh, and what Patrick Hornquist most notably has is a eight team, no trade list. And I would assume, and again, just assumption, speculation, no knowledge of anything like that, um, that his trade list would most likely include uh, the teams that would take on these horrendous contracts. And it might be awfully tough and it might cost an arm and a leg or simply a hanging up of the phone uh, if they want to try and shed that kind of money. And the sad part is, is that they've got $6 million in dead cap. It's really tough to see what Florida has um, what Florida has in store. Um, they've got six, $6 million in, uh, in, in dead cap. And it's only for this year too. It's awfully tough. This is a year that they should be able to contend, not compete, contend. They'll be over the top. Now to ask you this question, did they get worse or did they get better? Florida, that is. Uh, I would say, ooh, it's, I'd say they got better. Because yes, they're gonna have cap maneuver. Uh, they're gonna have cap situations to maneuver and whatnot. But if they figure out some way, get under the cap, whether it's Hornquist's contract or or somebody else that can get them back under the uh, that threshold, they're above. Th they're like three million over the cap right now. If they're able to, uh, you know, maneuver back down, and then you just play out this year where the dead cap hit. Uh, gets much less after this after this year um, you know you've just locked up you know you went from you went from Huberto who's approaching his 30s to trading for and re-upping you know one of the better younger hockey players uh, in the league right now and Matthew Tuchuk only 24 years old you've locked him up for basically his entire prime uh, 100 point score last year so uh, you have somebody really set in uh, that in your offense that they can look into long term, and you just figure out the cap from here on out how to uh, make sure you stay compliant. But uh, I think they they stayed the same, if not just got a little bit better. Yeah, I think also if you look at if you look at what what Florida has done, also they gave up a lot for mm -hmm. Matthew Kachuk, a lot. Um, and I think with any restricted free agent out there that um, that you would look at and say to yourself, well, there are these players that are out there um, that potentially uh, need a contract. And really the biggest one right now is a Jesper Bratt. But obviously uh, for New Jersey, uh, it would not be commanding anything like what um, what Matthew Kachuk uh, got. And the reason why, obviously, is because he's not Matthew Kachuk. Uh, you look at a Jesper Bratt. You look at a Miles Wood. You look at an Andrew Mangiapane as well. Um, and, and you see how much, um, and, and you also look at someone also by the name too of Kirby Doc as well. Um, the reason why we bring him up was because he was traded for the 13th overall pick, uh, in this past, in this past draft. So, um, you know, again, to set the market for someone like, uh, like a Kachuk is very, it, it's not wise to say because Kachuk's caliber is 
no no longer in terms of a restricted free agent um, in the NHL this year. We'll see next year what that would be, but um, it's a it's a tough price to pay. And I think also, Mike, with the the cap most likely going up after this year, this is what they're hoping that this year is the last year of the flat cap and the $1 million uh, increase. They can mm-hmm. see it potentially go two or three or even five, 10, whatever the case may be. Um, it's going to take a lot of time and you're going to start seeing uh, everything inflating, whether it be, we saw it, we see it in football all the time. Uh, football. Now you're seeing these 35, $40 million contracts happening when just before Mike was born, uh, <laughs> we would have, you know, three or $4 million was the big, big contract, you know, and that was only like 15, 10, 15 years ago. That was when I was a kid. Um, so, you know, now with where, with where everything is at, um, we'll have to see what, uh, what the price for a lot of these, uh, restricted free agents would be. And, and again, if, if the, uh, if the 74 point score and Jesper Bratt can't agree to a contract, who knows what Tom Fitzgerald may do. He might, uh, he might stand pat and, uh, and call Jesper Bratt's bluff or potentially might trade him away. Again, you might see what, what, uh, uh, what, what Matthew Kachuk had garnered for a restricted free agent, uh, for a restricted free agent, and he got a lot back. They, the Calgary Flames got a ton back, mm-hmm. so that now sets the market um, for that. There, uh, so really good stuff, Mike. Great conversation that we had with Eric Francis, and uh, we hope to include him in the Eastern Observer family moving forward. Of course, to join him with uh, with our good friend DB Dennis Bernstein, Dave Panyota, a lot of good guys, Jesse uh, Jesse Granger. Uh, Andrew Gross, a uh, ton of a ton of great people uh, that we have gotten to meet in the hockey world. Uh, looks like we will be including Eric Francis in that as well. Uh, let's move on to Major League Baseball, and we were talking about, of course, in the open. We've got a ton to talk about with Juan Soto. We've got a lot with the Yankees. We've got a lot with, with Boston, Toronto, the AL East, and of course with uh, Cooperstown 2022 induction ceremony just a couple of days, or rather, just yesterday, um, out at the Clark Sports Center uh, in Cooperstown. Mike, we spoke about Juan Soto and how tough it would be uh, to potentially trade him in about seven days' time. And it's really difficult because Juan Soto is a generational talent that right now is hitting 245, uh, 20 home runs, and a 401 on base percentage. And, you know, when you look at the at the batting average, you say to yourself, 245, probably about 360 on base percentage. No, he's doing really well because he's just getting on base with a whole bunch of walks. He's got 82 on the season as well. He doesn't strike out a ton either. Uh, and his last 30 games, too, he's been heating up. 364 batting average, uh, OPS over 12, 12 ribbies, six, home, six uh, home runs, 24 for 66. This is something else, too, Mike, that, um, you know, when you look and say to yourself that Juan Soto will attract a a king's ransom, a ridiculous amount of, of players back, um, this is a man who turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract. Why? Because the Washington Nationals are in a little bit of limbo. Uh Ted Lerner and the entire Lerner family are looking to potentially sell the franchise. So we don't know exactly where they will go. Uh, we know that they'll still be in Washington, but we don't know who's calling the shots. If Mike Rizzo will be retained as the general manager, if the Lerner sell. Um, so Juan Soto obviously wants that security. And 
can you blame them? I can't blame them. You don't know the direction right now of the Nationals because they are really bad, really, really bad. And keep in mind, they're they're only three years removed from being World Series champions. Their first one since returning to Washington. Um, and then you look and say to yourself that Juan Soto has been courted by, uh, or at least his agent has uh, has been called by, um, you know, the Yankees, the Padres, the Cardinals, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Mariners. Apparently the Rays, too, have been in there, too. A few executives, uh, according to Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic and Fox Sports, have said, too, that uh, a few executives that Ken's spoken to, um, 13 total teams have spoken to uh, to Juan Soto and uh, and Boris, Scott Boris, too, uh, who is his agent, too. And, Mike, you know, we've heard Toronto. We've heard San Francisco. There's a lot of teams out there that have a really, really big farm system. Um, I mean, to me, you, and you hear those teams and you say to yourself, well, San Diego and, and AJ Preller have absolutely decimated their farm system by trading away guys left and right for their star one through five pitchers. Um, but then you also look at St. Louis who at the time they were retooling, they've got a lot of pitching, uh, to, you know, that that's really their bread and butter. Um, they also have the number 18th ranked farm system in all of major league baseball, which is not great, but they've got a lot of young talent too, but you can't say that about a team like Toronto. You can't say that about a team like San Diego. Toronto's got a lot of young talent, but do they have the players that first off, they're willing to give up and also are they in position to potentially offer a half a billion dollars to this man after committing a whole bunch of money to George Springer. And that hasn't worked out yet. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, it's no surprise we've gone through, I mean, 13 teams. It's no surprise that so many teams are interested in him. He's an absolute superstar, just 23 years old, uh, won a world series at, at, at just 20 and, you know, really lit up that world series against Houston. Uh, he's just one of the, game's best talents uh, there there's not much more to say than that he's just a fantastic talent uh, a superstar of this game has already done so much at such a young age no wonder so many teams are going to call in on him and i mean going through each team uh the padres have given up a lot but their farm system is still ranked in the top 10 and a lot of people have viewed them as, as the favorite some of, uh, you know i hear some of the chatter there based on on how they're able to uh, uh, address the cost. Um, the Dodgers always have such an elite farm system every year now. It seems like uh, for the last five, ten years where, I mean, they have seven of baseball's top 100 prospects that they could throw at uh, the Nationals, uh, and they already dealt with them last year in order to get Matt Scherzer and uh, Trey Turner in last year's deadline deal. Um I think a lot also depends in a deal on where Soto wants to go if it's if a deal is contingent upon uh, on an extension there. So, you know, does he want to be just dealt to a team where he wants to be long term or is he OK with being dealt and, you know, essentially being a two year rental? Um, you know, I know a, a lot of Yankee fans have brought up that scenario. Hey, we could keep judge long term, but. Uh, we can also uh, trade for Soto and you have two and a half years of an absolute three-headed monster or another team who just doesn't want to commit, uh, you know, 15 years at, you know, half a billion dollars to this guy, you know, d 
just go out and trade him for, you know, to get two and a half years of him and try and get, you know, a real good postseason runs during those two and a half years. How much does, you know, unloading a bad contract like Patrick Corbin that we've heard a lot of chatter about affect this deal and the return that Washington gets? If you're Washington, I mean, I think the ownership part of that is real is really interesting because if they're looking to sell, uh, the learners just may want to just, you know, dump all the contracts. Who cares about the Nationals farm system? It's and what the return is. It's not going to be their problem. Uh, we just want to shed some payroll until, you know, we're able to to sell the team. So, of course, a lot of fans won't be happy of that. You know, the cur- the, the nice thing would be to take care of the franchise and have a smooth transition, but they could also, you know, just go that way and are okay with accepting a lower return in order to get, you know, Soto plus a bad contract like Corbin or Strasburg uh, off the books. Um, If you're Mike Rizzo, just forget about the ownership, you go lower and you go to general manager level, you have to get this deal right. I mean, they are going to be in a bit of a rebuild Uh, And this is their biggest tradable asset. And this would probably be one of the bigger trades. Whenever it happens, it would probably be one of the biggest trades that Major League Baseball has seen in the last decade or so. And you you really have to get this right one way or another. Even with a a bad contract, you still have to figure out to get a real good return with guys who, you know, can eventually come up to your team and contribute to the future. Yeah, it's it's really tough, Mike, to see. what is what has gone on with this Washington Nationals team? Because at one point, again, they're just three years removed from being a World Series team. Uh, and also keep in mind, too, it also raises the price tag, too, um, for Juan Soto is, is that he was a World Series champion at age 20. That's that that's something else. too, And he was a massive contributor. too. keep in mind that they had a fantastic outfield too that also uh, that also featured Juan Soto. Adam Eaton, Victor Robles as well. Um, at the time, you know, they were, that was a big part of what, and that was also a year after Bryce Harper left them in free agency and went to the Philadelphia Phillies. And he hasn't seen the playoffs mm-hmm. since getting there, you know? Um, so now Juan Soto, um, with everything going on here, you look at the teams again and you say to yourself, the Dodgers, the Mariners, from what we continuously hear, Mike, is is that every team is at least inquiring. Almost every team. And there were also some there was some chatter too that even the Oaklands of the world, even the Tampas of the world, who don't make these massive deals, are potentially inquiring. Now, if you're picking up the phone. That's a good sign because you're at least, you know, you want to hear whatever the case is, right? And there's a lot of executives out there that are saying that this is a a player, a generational talent that is being compared to a Frank Robinson, a Mickey Mantle. I mean, when you when you hear Juan Soto's name with Mickey Mantle. I mean, you know, this is this is something that we don't typically see that often. And now we've got two generational players in Shohei Otani and now Juan Soto in this whole trade deadline thing. We can remove Otani from that, but mainly Soto. 
to me, it's just it's very difficult to see how these teams can get first off get the cash. Uh, I, I don't think the cash together is is a problem, obviously, but the prospects, mm-hmm. the players. Mike, for you, as a playoff team, we know how this guy, how this generational talent can it make an immediate impact on your on your on your lineup. There's no doubt that he can do that. Do you see a deal getting done though in a week's time when you have to go through all of these hurdles? I, I doubt. I really, really doubt it. I, I really don't think a deal is going to happen now. Uh, Washington has a little bit of time. Uh, you you don't want to wait too long for his value to dissipate, but I mean, I think they'll still get the same kind of value that they could get now in the winter. I, I think a lot of teams are calling in, uh, trying to feel out the cost and and uh, you know what it would take, and you know obviously the negotiations down, but. I just think there are way too ma- too many teams involved, too many pieces. Uh, we don't even know what Soto's real desires are in terms of how much a long-term extension uh, affects this deal. Uh, at one point, uh, there were rumors that you know basically it was a requirement that you know a team signs them long-term in order t- for this deal to go through. Um, maybe that's more from Soto's end that you know he doesn't want to be a two-year rental just be traded somewhere and then immediately extended. Uh, so uh, there's just too many moving parts that, and it's way too big of a caliber of a trade that I think it gets done in a week. I mean, think about it. When has a player of this caliber in major league baseball ever been traded? Like it's certainly not in my lifetime. I think the, the only closest, I mean, a rod was toward the end of his contract anyway, I think, um, or that was, I think the Yankees even signed him later on in the offseason, if, if I'm not, uh, if I'm mistaken, I believe. So I, I, you'd have to go, I think, quite a ways back before a talent like Soto's in Major League Baseball was e- even involved in a trade. So I doubt it with all the different variables and, and the, the magnitude of this trade that it gets done before this deadline. Yeah, and I know, I know our good friend Ian Schreier, we were talking about it. He believes that it can get done. He definitely believes it can get done because of the magnitude of the player. And also, um, you know, if the price is in fact right um, for the Nationals, they could potentially just pull the trigger. They could do it. But as you said, though, and I think that's the big thing, is that this is franchise altering. This is whether or not you contend in 2024 or you contend in 2028. Mm -hmm. I think that that is not a... Uh, that's not a Hail Mary throw. I think that is legitimately the case because this player can set you back years, not even a season, years, seasons, plural. And I think when you have these these players, like, and I'll look at the Mets, for instance, right? You look at the Mets and you say to yourself, you've got Brett Beatty, you've got Francisco Alvarez. You know, you could trade some of these players, these generational talents that, you know, they expect. Like, for instance, the Mets believe that Francisco Alvarez is going to be the next Mike Piazza, which is very, 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 I'm assuming, uh, you know, the, the pressure on, on Alvarez must be through the roof because that is a Hall of Famer that you're talking about. Um, I think the thing to me, though, is, is that, you know, 
what if, let's just say, injuries occur or whatever the case may be? Can you potentially can you potentially make this trade and say, okay, we'll make the trade and in two years we lose all of his value? That's the thing that I believe that that's why a lot of these these general managers will be taking their time on and waiting until winter when the winter meetings. Yeah, I think they've really gone out. Uh, I think a lot of the calls that Washington uh, are taking are, are really just to to see what the cost is and 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 maybe for other teams how much uh, taking on a bad contract would uh, would affect the the return that they would have to give. And that uh, is where I don't believe it gets done right there with Corbin because that's a lot of money, that's a lot of cash. But the Nationals would have to send a lot of cash back to whoever is is willing to accept that deal. Yeah, I, I think that's where there's going to be a lot of negotiation because for the, the Nationals, you got to find a balancing act by can we be able to offload some of these bad contracts, do what we ever, whatever we got to do uh, to do that while also getting a really good return for Soto because if you're a general manager that can operate well, a, a guy like Soto doesn't get traded that often If and if you're able to get the trade right, and get back some really good young talent along with uh, some of the young talent they got last year for Scherzer and Turner, mainly uh, Kyber Ruiz, um, you know, could that, you know, accelerate their rebuild a little bit where instead of 2025, 2026, it can maybe be a little bit closer if they, if they get the right deal, but it's just, are they really going to get the right deal? Because, this far out, two and a half years out, is a general manager for, you know, really going to deal pretty much all or most of their top five, tick, top six, top seven of their prospect pool in one shot uh, for two and a half years of a guy. Uh, I think that's the question a lot of franchises are going to have to ask. And a lot of fans will say, yes, you shouldn't blink twice, but that's just not how some general managers operate. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely noteworthy too that um you know it would it, it remains to be seen um what will happen with the Nationals and it also remains to be seen too uh if Patrick Corbin's uh brutal contract who again was a key part to the 2019 World Series team but who has been absolutely disastrous since then um how this will affect uh any trade for Juan Soto moving forward. Um, Mike, let's move on here to the Yankees. Michael King, how big of a loss is this? Oh, it's un, it's unbelievable. It's a massive loss for the Yankees. He's a huge part of the bullpen this year, was really starting to come on strong last year and, and really broke out this year. Arguably could have been an all-star. We were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, was a little bit of a snub, had a really good first half. And he was your guy going through the rest of this stretch and going – uh, into October, Michael King was going to be a massive part of this team's uh, bullpen and hopefully potentially a, a long, deep run through October. And now that that all goes away due to this fractured elbow, it's absolutely a devastating blow. He was definitely going to be right there in terms of your top three relievers on the trust tree uh, going through the stretch and into the playoffs. Just a massive, massive loss from the Yankees. And I mean, now from a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, you talked about the Yankees and, and okay, maybe we're approaching the deadline. We could get 
you know, a little bit of a minor trade here and there just to tweak the, the bullpen a little bit, fine tune it and uh, do the ba- main bit of business elsewhere. You know, now they need a little bit of everything. They need a bat. We've seen issues with the offense at times. Uh, they certainly need a little bit of pitching, Severino being hurt, Tyon really being ineffective uh, the last month or so. Uh, you know, what other teams might do in the deadline as well could certainly uh, suit them well to go after a, a Luis Castillo or Frankie Montas. And now they need moves for the bullpen with King injured. Um, you know, Araldis Chapman does not look like himself once again. Uh, you lose some of the depth there and whatnot. And now all of a sudden there are a lot of questions around the bullpen. So uh, the floodgates have sort of opened a little bit and the Yankees are uh, really going to need a little bit of everything uh, to try and replace Michael King as well as fill some of the holes that they have in the rest of this team. Yeah, and you know, the, the Yankees had just got back uh, Ron Marinaccio as well. They got him back. They got Loisaga back, who still does not look 100%, but again, it takes some time for, you know, uh, uh, rub all the dust off or get all, all of the rust off. Excuse me, not dust, rust. Um, you still have Zach Britton also, uh, who is trying to get back that could be something um you know it, it might just be you know addition by just you know standing pat at the deadline um very possible um but then there were some talks too that you know the yankees might continuously go back for a third time to david robertson uh it's possible but again how much do the yankees want to pay uh for a reliever and does robinson or uh, you know does david robertson excuse me um have the stuff that he once had years ago does he have that um i I don't know right now i mean don't get me wrong he did blow out his uh his his acl um you know he also had uh you know he he had a lot of problems injury wise not too long after the philly so um what do you see with with potentially robertson could that be a possibility or do they go elsewhere uh i don't know there i think it could be a possibility but I think there's certain questions that you have to ask. He, uh, after they traded for him in 2017, uh, at the end of the year, there was a lot of bad blood. Uh, they didn't leave on good terms. Um, uh, Robertson and the Yankees, uh, there was some issues throughout the team, I think, in terms of, I think it was some sort of bonus shares, something, something with money uh, in the winter meetings. They, they didn't yeah. leave on good terms. So you wonder where that relationship is now, five years later or whatnot. So does everything from 2017 still really affect things. And, you know, because of that, them wanting to just blacklist Robertson and go elsewhere, or, you know, do they want to go back for him again and look to a veteran option who knows the team knows what it takes to get through October and can uh, stabilize uh, this bullpen uh, going forward with the injury to King. He has great stats this year, you know, uh, coming in, you know, to today's show, he's has a, 39 and a third innings pitch, 1.38 ERA. Um, he's doing really well. Uh, you know, 37 years old, he's still able to handle uh, the workload. You want to bring in an experienced arm uh, just for this postseason run this year. Obviously, Robertson is in a, a move for the next couple of years. It's just for this next couple of months. You want to bring in somebody experienced that could be, you know, a way to go. It's just what's the relationship uh, really like there. Yeah, and, and also, folks, completely my fault. I'm I'm look I'm looking here down at my notes, and I don't even know why ACL came up. 
he had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm trying to come up with Tommy John surgery. And I'm, for some reason, ACL came out. So I apologize. No, Tommy John surgery when he was with the Philadelphia Phillies. That was in 2020. That was the COVID year uh, that he had gotten hurt. He was on the shelf until uh, until last year, towards the end of the year came back and now he's doing really well with the Cubbies and the Cubbies might be able to, uh, to ship him off to wherever the case may be. But uh, again, our good friend, Ian Schreier doing, uh, doing some work from afar for us as well. Uh, he just uh, sent us something in here. Uh, according to a, uh, a Twitter feed that if where's Rob DeLuca for this uh, to, to kind of decipher which, which one is real or not, or which one uh, Ian Schreier is being played by, uh, the Twitter account is G E N Y Mets report. Uh, according to, uh, according to Marino, uh, to, um, to Marino, uh, let's see who is that there. Sometimes I forget. Oh, Michael Marino of fan tracks, uh, and also fan nations inside the Mets. Mm, Ian did, hopefully it didn't get played here. Uh, the Mets are showing strong interest in Wilson Contreras and David Robertson. Uh, well, we've heard some of those rumors before. Uh, Robertson would certainly fit what the Mets are looking for. They need, they need, they need bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. And just for some of the same reasons as we talked about uh, for the Yankees, an experienced arm who knows New York and knows what it takes to get through the postseason, uh, the same could be said uh, for the Mets, uh, you know, on that sort of end. So, uh, uh, we've heard, maybe we'll dispute that tweet, but certainly <laughs> we've heard it from, uh, uh much more, uh, well-known people that certainly the Mets have been calling, uh, about David Robertson. Uh, they're certainly interested there. Um, yeah, it, it'd be a great move for, uh, I think it'd be a pretty solid move for either New York teams because they both, now they clearly both need bullpens. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of it too, there's also something else here. Uh, Let's see what we've got here on Ian. Uh, thank you very much for sending this stuff here. And of course, we've got to play with Ian and his uh, and some of the uh, the Twitter stuff here that uh, that Ian does take his time out to find. So we do appreciate it, but we always have to poke fun, and it is always fun to poke Ian there to make sure that uh, that we always uh, we always let him know that uh, MLB nerds at MLB nerds uh, a Mets and Orioles trade surrounding. Uh, Trey Mancini and right-handed pitcher Dylan Tate is being discussed and could be completed as soon as tonight per sources. Well, now, if that is the case, Trey Mancini is someone that the Mets have had their eye on for a very, very long time. But hey, Mike, I got to ask you this question. You saw Dan Vogel back yesterday. He is an absolute unit, and he was running around all the way from second and he looks like, uh, I mean, listen, that is fantastic. He he, he, he he looks great. He looks like the Michelin man running. <laughs> like I say, every every time I look at Daniel Vogelbach, it's a poor man's Luke Voigt. He just looks so, so similar to him, uh, the, the physique and everything. It's just, and about 50 pounds heavier. Yeah, just Luke Voigt is just much taller, so I guess it's spread around a little bit more. But uh, that that's what I always think when looking at Vogelbach, but. Uh, it's interesting what he provides uh, the next week or so. Like, like, does he change anything about how the Mets approach the deadline, depending on his performance? Is he just depth no matter what? Um, do, does it really affect any of their other moves? I think they gave up a little bit too much uh, in a deal for Vogelbach, and uh, I think it was interesting that they 
They went to Pittsburgh twice, the second time for uh, a depth capture for cash considerations. And uh, I know a friend of mine was mad about it. Would have loved to to go see them uh, go after uh, David Bennar from the Pirates there. Yeah. Leaf pitcher would have taken quite a bit, but uh, certainly could have been an interesting uh, uh, deal going for Vogelbach and Begnar. Uh, throw them a little bit uh, extra, maybe your 15, 20 prospect and, and Holderman. Uh, and that could have pushed a, a deal for Vogelbach and Bednar through. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I, they gave up a, a pretty solid reliever for a guy who's going to be their depth uh, DH potentially. Um, but I think they, the Mets still are going to need another bat going forward. I don't think Vogelbach can be the answer by himself going forward. Yeah, and I could say this. Ian Schreier does agree with you here. Uh, I still think Vogelbach is depth. Mancini or Bell have been the targets. But, Mike, you did say earlier Josh Bell may not be the guy. Yeah, I've heard, I, I was scrolling through Twitter a little bit, uh, hearing, I believe it was uh, – forget the name now somebody writing on sports illustrated um talking about something that they may be out on the josh bell sweepstakes so uh we'll see we'll this is trade season so we'll hear one thing from one person the other from another um so uh, i mean this is the the crazy times the wheel goes around uh we're we're gonna see a a lot of reports a, a lot of contrasting reports and then you know, up until the moment, it, each deal is all done. So I think there are, for, for the Mets end, uh, I think there are just a lot of different directions that they could go in in terms of a uh, hitter. It's, ju- it's just what the fit really is. Um, and, and I think Josh Josh Bell, uh, I don't know how much they feel Vogelbach stands in the way of that positionally. Um, or, you know, do they just shift their out their focus more toward outfielders and whatnot, or guys who can play the outfield? Um, so that's more an, relief pitching, or more relief pitching. Yeah, so that's an interesting conversation for them. Yeah. Uh, the Yankees uh, could address uh, going back to them. They could address the bullpen uh, internally, but how confident are they in guys getting back to full health? We mentioned uh, Marinciano before. Uh, Jonathan Loisinga, if Jonathan Loisinga can get back to his 2021 version, that would be massive for the Yankees going forward. But you really look at that bullpen, and even if guys are coming back to help, they certainly uh, could use a, an addition there or whatnot. I will say, Art Smith is going to play a really big role uh, these next couple months. If he can fill, he's one guy who really can fill that Michael King role well. I think we've seen his his stuff plays up really well in the bullpen. Uh, he's that guy uh, that can really slot into exactly what Michael King was doing and be that multi-inning high-leverage reliever if he's able to perform as we've seen uh, his potential to be. So the next thing, though, Mike, that we do need to bring up here, uh, or rather before we do, uh, going back to the Mets talk here, uh, Mancini would become another from Ian Trier, by the way, Mancini would become another outfielder option where they can rotate him, Kana and Vogelbach in the DH slot gives Mets flexibility. Hey, listen, I could tell you this national league fans or teams in the national league. Aren't you so happy that the universal DH is here because we would not be having this conversation if the universal DH was not uh, in the new, in the new CBA, which was pretty much unanimous, but let's just say if it wasn't boy, that would have been something crazy 
a lot of this stuff would not be talking about, or would not be uh, spoken about um, here this trade deadline season. Um, sticking with the Yankees, though, just uh, let's continue to move on here, Mike. Uh, Andrew Benatendi, uh, there's you know a lot of talk with obviously the. Uh, unvaccinated rumors and the reason why we don't typically get into this on this show, but the reason being that we will is because a lot of the reason why we expected a uh, Ben attending to the Yankees deal being done kind of had some impact because of the, the of six games left in Toronto. Now, I know you and I spoke about this, Mike, off camera, and you had said six games, eh, that's okay. But right now, the Jays are winners of six straight and only 12 games back. Keep in mind, it's very possible. Again, yes, I know it's a long shot. Houston, though, is very close to joining the Yankees atop the American League. This is not the Yankees from a month ago where they had a 17 or 18 game advantage. It's now 12, which again, it's still a lot. But in just like this, we have gotten to see teams completely shift and if things get crazy or if things get down to let's say the six games in Toronto and they do not have their their new toy in Andrew Benintendi that could uh that could really cause a problem yeah well uh, see the the thing about the Yankees they've been playing uh, I don't know dog days of summer or whatnot large division lead they've been playing largely 500 ball for the last three weeks they they've had their spurts but they they also have had stretches where they haven't looked great and have clearly showed that this team needs additions if they're going to make a long run through october and listen benintendi i i think would be a fantastic move we talked about ian Happ a couple weeks ago last month uh, I don't know if, if Cashman wants to go down that road again. Maybe he likes the years of con- control, but not that they're the same hitter, but uh, you know, it's basically going to cost you relatively the same kind of cost it did for Joey Gallo last year. Does he really want to go that route? Uh, ben Intendi is a guy who uh, you know is a free agent after this year, so it would cost a lot less, and you have a solid uh, potential to re-sign him. Uh, he just knows the AL East really well. Uh, he's a world champion, knows October really well, and can really just replace Gowell there in left field who just needs to go. And in terms of the unvaccinated situation, um, you know, the uh, in, in the Yankees have six games left with Toronto, uh, but just three of them are up north. And I think the only concern that we really have about Benintendi is if the Yankees were to face Toronto in a postseason series, which would probably, given how the standings are looking, would probably be in an ALDS situation. Um, you know, you wouldn't have been intending for those two games up in the Rogers Center. Yeah, that is a concern, but again, I, I really don't want Andrew Benintendi to be the lone reason they can't get through the ALDS. I, I think it's just a gamble you have to take. Uh, Toronto's the only team you'd have to worry about uh, that unvaccinated status with, and you may not be in a situation where you have to worry about it at all. Uh, it's There's clearly rumors it's not affecting the uh, trade interest that he's having, and I don't think it should affect, it, it should affect the Yankees' uh, interest either. This is a guy who can fill in left field really well, occasionally at center field, which they need, a good contact hitter to balance out the power uh, approach that most of the lineup around him would have, 
and uh he, like we said he's a proven winner yeah and and not only not only is he a proven winner of course we have to keep in mind he was also with the boston red sox too, 2018 world series champion he was there uh so he was he also played a really big part uh in the uh in that in that world series championship too for the red sox uh so that would be something else if he were to come to the yankees uh come to the dark side too that would be uh would be pretty cool to see uh but of course, Mike, tomorrow starts the Subway Series out in Queens, though, and you will be in attendance. That means, Ian Schreier and all the Mets fans, that means that the Yankees, uh, they've got a good chance because Mike Zabo is the Mets jinx over at City Field. But now that, of course, I speak I speak those words into existence, that means the Mets will probably win 28-5, to just like how the Jays took down the Red Sox. Am I right, Mets fans? And Mike? Well, uh, I, I, there's not as much pressure to keep the jinx going because I was there on Keith Hernandez Day, and oh. the Miami Marlins completely forgot how to field a baseball in the 10th inning and uh, totally just blew it on a walk-off. So I, I, as I'm going through the situations, I feel like, you know what? I'd rather I have been in the building then and the jinx uh, got blown away there, so the Yankees don't really have to have the pressure tomorrow of keeping up the jinx. So it's much less pressure. It's now time to start a new streak, and that new streak can start tomorrow. So, of course, I want to see the Yankees win, but now it's going to be a lot better in terms of the superstition you know, sort of pressure uh, to start a new streak rather than having to keep up this tense jinx that I've had for about five or six games going back a couple <laughs> years. Well, I mean, you look at you look at the starters for tomorrow. Um, for you, Mike, let's let's hear them. Who do we got tomorrow? Who do the Yankees got tomorrow? Your little preview for this potential, and I can't believe I'm saying this because Mike was not even born. Actually, he was. He was a couple of months old. Uh, but actually, in, in in our time though, Mike was not even a thought. He wasn't even an avocado. Um, Mike, the last time that the 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 same sentence included Mets, Yankees, and World Series didn't happen since 2000 uh, when they you know faced off against one another in a World Subway Series. Uh, this has that written all over it tomorrow, and also the two games next month too at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, uh, it, it, this is just even if they the it, even if one of them those these two or both of those team uh, both of these teams, which God I don't hope so, uh, doesn't make the 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 World Series. Uh, these when has you know the last time really the, the both the Mets and the Yankees have been this good in a season. Uh, it's been quite a while, and certainly going back to two thousand, uh, you know. Uh, really both teams haven't been this good. And I mean, the ticket sales have reflected it the last couple of weeks trying to get into this game for tomorrow night ha has been, uh, you know, a headache and a half, but uh, we're going tomorrow. Uh, it it's going to be a really, really intriguing matchup. I think it's, it's going to be a really full building. Uh, like, like I just said, two teams that we haven't seen both New York baseball teams this good at the same time. Uh, in a season, so there will be a little bit of an extra edge uh, on this Subway series. Um, both teams going into the trade line with a lot of trade deadline with a lot of questions, um, and, and certainly both wanting to expose a little bit of each other's problems here. Um, but you know, tomorrow night, I believe the, the, they announced the pitching matchups. Uh, when I'll be there tomorrow night, will be Taiwan Walker up against Jordan Montgomery. Yep. Um, 
which Taiwan Walker's really come on strong the, the last month or so. Uh, feel like uh, been putting in some real good performances, which has really been must needed for the Mets. Um, and once again, takes off. If there was any sort of pressure, really takes off um, any pressure in terms of upgraded upgrades you would have thought to really make that a super rotation or, or whatnot. Mets fans dreamed of that possibility. Um, for the Yankee side of things, Jordan Montgomery really emblematic of the rest of the pitching rotation that for the Yankees that hasn't really been as sparkling as it was uh, earlier in the season. I believe this month Montgomery uh, in the month of July has a 450 ERA, so uh, they're, they're really hitting rough patches, uh, Montgomery and the rest of the, the, the starting pitching alone. Yeah. But the Mets seem to, for whatever reason, uh, struggle against lefties, so we'll see if that uh, trend continues uh, tomorrow night. Um, so I think it should be a really interesting game, uh, that one. Uh, Wednesday, uh, in terms of the pitching matchup, a lot more lopsided toward the Mets with Matt Scherzer taking the mound up against Domingo Herman in that uh, spot start position uh, with uh, Luis Severino's injury. Yeah. Um, and I, I just... I just really don't know why Domingo Herman is starting that game. Uh, we saw in the second uh, game of the doubleheader with Houston last week how that worked out. I, I just really don't think it makes sense. It's not an issue of, oh, well, it was just Herman's first start back on the big leagues after coming back from injury or whatnot. No, over the last three, over his last 330 innings of work, Domingo Herman has a 450 ERA. Yeah. He, he's just a very average to bad sort of pitcher. And yeah. I don't think it's really essential to have him be in this position or um, I, I just don't think he, he's great for the team go, going on long term. If you could get something for him or put him as an auxiliary piece in a trade package uh, for whatever you need, be that in bullpen or if you're going after one of the big starters or outfield help. Um, I, I think that would certainly be uh, what's best for all parties because um, I just don't think he's that effective and certainly in this role, uh, certainly a, as a starter, uh, maybe if they would have tried a, a relief option uh, sooner, but he's just not that effective. I mentioned the stat over the last 330 innings, what he's like. This is just who he is, injury or coming back from injury or not. Uh, I, I would have said last week before Michael King's injury, uh, that Clark Schmidt would have been perfect for this spot on Wednesday. But, uh, of course, now Schmidt's going to have to move to the bullpen full-time uh, with King's injury. Uh, I think JP, uh, I, if it were me, it should have been J.P. Sears that should have started on Wednesday, who's looked really good and I think would have given the, the Yankees a better chance to win, um, You know, especially going into a matchup up against Scherzer. But, Nonetheless, we go with uh, Domingo Herman, and I'm just happy I'm there for the Tuesday one, which I think will be much more competitive uh, matchup uh, rather than Wednesday. And like I said to you, Joey, off camera, if the Mets do not win, especially by a lot on Wednesday against Domingo Herman, then please sell the franchise. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. And that's exactly what you and I always say. Sell the team. Sell the team, Hal. Sell the team, Hank. But now we could say, sell the team. Sell the team, Stevie. That's it. Uncle Steve, sell the team. Back to the Wilpons. Maybe they can figure it out. Uh, but yes, the Yankees, uh, the Yankees and the Mets get underway tomorrow night, 7-10 Eastern time. 
uh, in a two-game series uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. Of course, as Mike did say, Domingo Herman against uh, Max Scherzer on Wednesday. But of course, first up, uh, Jordan Montgomery and Taiwan Walker. Uh, overall, three and two, three point two four ERA for Monty, and for Taiwan Walker, seven and two with a two five five ERA. Uh, let's keep on rolling here. And something else that we need to look at here, Mike, is excuse me the uh, the Boston Red Sox. They're one and nine in their last uh, in their last ten games. Um, they have two wins dating back to July 9th. Uh, and two of those wins co- have come against the Yankees almost a week apart. Um, and one of which occurred at, in uh, in Fenway, and the other occurred at Yankee Stadium. And you look and you say to yourself, well, this Red Sox team back in June, uh, they lost, they, they I think they, they went on an uh, eight-game winning streak. Uh, they were, they were nuts. Like, this team looked like they were going to be buyers. Now, all of a sudden, just in a a couple of weeks, this team is looking like they are sellers or will be sellers. And on top of it right now, things can't get any better for them because J.D. Martinez, again, back issues. And he's now out for a third straight day. Yeah, it's just really fascinating how quickly things have uh, unraveled for for the Red Sox. They had a really good month of June. Uh, even though they weren't able to gain any ground in the division, they they looked really good. Were playing some really good baseball, set themselves up uh, to to be in a, a real good playoff spot. Uh, we're at the top of the wild card standings, and now in the last few weeks, it's absolutely unraveled. Have lost their last five straight. Uh, probably looked, it probably had one of, if not their most embarrassing. Uh, regular season loss in recent memory on Friday night, 28-5 to to the Blue Jays, uh, just making error after error. I mean, everything that uh, is going wrong or can go wrong for them is going wrong. And, you know, now they sit 48-48, and three games out of the final wildcard spot, which is held by the Seattle Mariners. And I don't know, they're going to have to answer this question of uh, will they be sellers or or not at the deadline? I'm not too confident that they will be. Uh, I don't want to uh, go right on to the notion that they're going to be sellers yet. I think I still think Cora uh, may believe in the group that he has. He's been in these positions before where uh, his teams are kind of like eh, in the regular season, but uh, if they're still hanging around the postseason pitcher enough, uh, the front office will, will be able to step in and make the necessary moves to, to stay in contention and get to that wild card spot. Um, I, I still think there's a chance of that. I think that they need at least a, a starting pitcher or so. We've heard about rumors. Maybe uh, they, they go back in the well for Martin Perez again, uh, who's done really well down in Texas this year. Um, they need a hitter or so. We've heard them mentioned, uh, uh, lightly mentioned with Josh Bell. Uh, that would be uh, pretty intriguing on their end. Um, so it's really just what what they're looking for, um, you know, what the front office mindset really is, is that this is just so bad that even though they're only three games, I bet as bad as they've been, they're only three games out of a playoff spot. And being, you know, at the end of July, that's not uh, an untenable position uh, to be able to get back into the postseason from if they were maybe five, six, you know, almost ten that's a different story. You definitely should be a seller at that point. They're really on an interesting tipping point where I think they sh- 
They're close enough that they could be in striking distance. You make a couple of moves, you get hot, you're right back in those postseason spots. Uh, or if not, you know, you feel like you're on the wrong side of the tipping point, you sell off a couple of pieces and you move along. I, I, I don't know what's their, their biggest sellable pieces, though. I, I mean, J.D. Martinez is aging, has some injury issues or whatnot. Uh, Chris Sale has had the same sort of injury issues. Um, you're not going to, uh, I, I would, I wouldn't think you'd be selling off a Garrett Whitlock or something like that. Um, so I don't know, uh, is Nathan Avaldi suddenly coming, uh, becoming available, although he's had, uh, injury issues as well. So, uh, I, I wonder where in terms of, you know, sellable assets, uh, would they really go to, are they giving up, uh, uh, Raphael Devers and just simply giving up on, you know, trying to resign him or whatnot, um, I, I still feel like there's a chance that uh, they can uh, that they can go for it. They make a couple of moves, they get healthy. Um, I, I still think they they might be able to squeak in the wild card, but they're gonna have to do it fast. The thing to me here um, that I would say the only one now that I know is Xander Bogarts, where his contract he does have an opt out at the end of this year. Now. The Red Sox, though, now keep in mind, I just want to just say this. Um, going back to our June 27th show, okay, that was episode 89, folks. Uh, the Red Sox were 19-4 and four in the month of June at that time, June 27th. They were on a seven-game winning streak. They were 42-31 and 31 when we were on the air that night. Mike said that they are 48-48 and 48 right now at 500. They were 11 games over 500 on June 27th. Since then, since then, they have gone 6 and 17. They have won six of their last 23 games. Six. And, and you, you just look at that Friday night game, especially, and how embarrassing that was. The amount of it's a football score. Miscues. It's a football score. I mean, the amount of defensive miscues that they had. I mean, uh, Jalen Duran there in center field, uh, you know, allowing an inside the park grand slam because he couldn't find the fly ball from Raimel Tapia. And then, even though he couldn't find the ball and it drops behind him, he he just shows a complete lack of hustle and effort to go after it and and make sure the ball gets back into the infield and and limit the damage that would be done there. Nope. He, he's just walking back there, you know, all sort of sorry, look, what do I do? And uh, I forget who was in left field at the time, just has to rush over a hundred feet and, and cover it and, and bring it back and, and, you know, throw it back into the infield. And lo and behold, Rama Tapia comes all the way around and it's an inside the park grand slam. I mean, if you're the front officer, Alex Corey, you might dem- just demote Jalen Duran for, for that sort of effort. Just, uh, complete lack of effort there on that play. Then you looked at yesterday too, where you know on three straight plays they could not field the ground ball properly. Had a couple of errors, and uh, I think it was their reliever uh, uh, Sawamura yeah. uh, wouldn't be able to step on the first base bag. You yeah. know, simple play. First base comes over, you flip it to the pitcher. He steps on the bag for the out. He overran the bag, and then all of a sudden is flailing everywhere. It's just as I said before, everything that. Uh, could potentially go wrong with this team is going wrong. They're not able to score well. The pitching is not holding up. 
the the defense is absolutely horrific. They they're just a really bad watch right now. They're really uh, falling down the standings, and it's going to really bring an interesting question as to to what they do. Like I said, I still have some faith that you make a couple of moves and Alex and with Alex Cora leading them, that they could charge uh, back up, make up the three game difference, and get into the postseason spots. And, you know, hold on to it going into October. But uh, I definitely have a feeling uh, some closer to the Red Sox and maybe the front office feel like it's just not going to be their year for that. Yeah. Kyan Bloom as well, the uh, the president of baseball operations and the general manager also. Um, he'll be on top of all of this, too. We can we can only imagine, um, you know, this Red Sox team and Bloom as well. Um the franchise has checked in on, on Wilson Contreras. The franchise has also checked in on Luis Castillo. Um, that is a no-brainer, obviously. Um, possible landing spots, keep in mind, too, is, is that, yes, there would be, uh, for Wilson Contreras, he's also 30 years old. Keep that in mind. He could still catch. He would be a DH and also potentially be at first base as well. Um, they've checked in on Castillo. We, we, we brought that up, too. But again, is that, what do you want to do with your star shortstop with that? Well, what do you want to do with that? You know, is that, can you get something for him and potentially he opts out of the contract and, you know, maybe he'll be a free agent and he might come to the Red Sox and they can get a haul. It's very, very rare that that ever happens, Mike, yeah. but could it happen? I don't, I, I personally don't believe so. I, I don't, I don't believe it. Although if Bogarts were to all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, be available. I mean, my goodness, how that would ignite the the hitters market, which I think is, is a little bit weak. The buyers market, I think, especially looking toward hitters, is a little bit weak this year. Correct. Uh, really filled with uh, you could get decent value, but really filled with veteran outfielders that you you hope can plug and play and get hot really, you know, late on into the season. Yeah. For your stretch run, for you know, being on a good contender, but. I don't think there's a huge difference maker other than uh, unless the Juan Soto piece, which we both think uh, we absolutely doubt that it won't go through unless that would go through. There's no serious difference maker. Now, if Bogarts were to come on the market, he's a serious difference maker. He's been batting above th uh, 300 this year. Uh, our, this year was an all-star, uh, has been an all-star a couple of years. Um you know, been uh, an absolute uh, stud for the Red Sox the last couple of years, he would be a huge difference maker to a contending team. Now, would they will be willing to accept that you know, will just have him potentially for these next couple of months and be okay with him opting out and, you know, we can get a, a good postseason run uh, with him. The Red Sox, if, you know, them trading Bogarts, you know, that would be it. He's not planning to come back in an opt-out situation or whatnot. They could slide Trevor Story over to shortstop and then figure out second base. So there would be cover. So uh, I, I don't really believe that Bogarts would hit the market, but it is an intriguing possibility. Well, if that is the case, not only would that be an intriguing possibility, but I would also believe that that would shake things up uh, in Major League Baseball, especially where really right now, Mike, the focus is on the pitching. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye out on that. But now Toronto uh, looking towards also potentially the pitching market and could potentially throw a wrench into the entire trade deadline because Toronto 
is very quiet right now. There's not a lot of chatter north of the border, but there's a lot of chatter from the Yankees. There's a lot of chatter from the Red Sox. Uh, a lot of chatter from the Dodgers, the Padres, the Cardinals, the usual suspects. But we're not hearing a lot from Toronto. That is a little bit suspicious. Why, Mike? Because they've won six straight. And not only uh, they've won six straight, they also won that game against Boston 28-5, to an 11-run top of the fifth um, when they were in Fenway Park. Now, keep in mind, you've gotten to see what Matt Chapman has done in the last 15 games. 382 batting average after starting the season off with a measly 320, or a 220 batting average, 13 strikeouts, nine ribbies, three home runs, 13 for 34 in his last 15. And then, of course, Lourdes Gurriel, 447 batting average, leads the team, six ribbies, 17 for 38, and a 526 slugging percentage. This Toronto team, again, they are also minus Hyunjin Ryu. They've got this young superstar in Alec Manoa who made – uh, really a, a massive presence out in Los Angeles in the uh, in the All-Star game. Mike, this this Toronto team, I, I knew that they they were a force to be reckoned with, but they started off their season ridiculously slow, very up and down like, but now we're beginning to see what this team is really made of. And keep in mind too, now Matt Chapman is getting hot. Also, Lourdes Gurriel is getting hot. And we really have not spoken about George Springer because he's only played about 80-ish games right now. Um, and that's something else, too, because we're just beyond the halfway point of the season. And there has been a lot of injury uh, from George Springer. We saw it last year. He didn't get 100% until probably about May or June of last year. Um, and now, you know, he's still slowly getting up to speed as well. This Toronto team is a little scary if you think about it. And with just a couple of moves, this team could potentially uh, be on their way to a wild card berth. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, they were a team that, you know, really followed in the footsteps of the trends that uh, Philadelphia started in, in early June, uh, firing their manager uh, in the middle of the season. Yeah, when Charlie you know, Montoyo. Yeah. Yep, they fired Charlie Montoyo and they clearly realized they were not hitting expectations and whatnot. And ever since then, they, they've really looked like a much better team getting, you know, no, right now back into the mix of the, the postseason picture and whatnot, really charged up the standings, uh, got a, a really dominating uh, sweep in Fenway this weekend, 40 combined runs in a three-game sweep of, of Boston. Um, you know, Things just, you don't ever hear. Yep. Just an unbelievable weekend of offense. My concern with Toronto going forward is really their pitching, all sides of their pitching. They have the bats uh, to, to, to be able to uh, get you into October and really get you through a, a big run through October. They have the kind of, you know, the, the caliber of bats that if they get hot, they can carry you through a postseason run. Ever since Toronto's rebuild, you know, I'd say two, three years ago that they were manifesting with guys like Bichette and Vlad, Guerrero Jr. and whatnot, they really built around a lot of young uh, hitters and whatnot, and they figure out the pitching. Alejandro on. Kirk, too. Alejandro Kirk. They they added what Chapman this year, of course. Um, yeah, Kevin Biggio at a time. Um, they, they had a lot of these young hitters, and the pitching they'd figure out and whatnot. Well, they have a lot of that core of the these young hitters. They've, they've pieced it around. They added Springer to it. They added Chapman to it this offseason. And whatnot, they have the bats in order to get them through 
a, a postseason run. It's yeah. what their pitching really has. Outside Manoa, you have a lot of inconsistencies, and certainly their bullpen uh, doesn't scare you whatsoever. You, they have their closer set in there. Jordan Romano, that that's your closer you want to go with. Uh, he, uh, he's, uh, you know, real good stuff there. Uh, has shown has shown out really good. Has been a solid closer for them. Twenty one saves, yeah. It's just really the rest of the bullpen. What do they What do they do there? Really, there's been a lot of inconsistent performances and whatnot. You re- they really need some bullpen help. And you certainly think they got to be in on uh, the Castillo or Montas sweepstakes. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. And that's the thing I think also that's going to scare a lot of teams uh, in the American League East because Toronto, they have no, they have no, uh, they have, I don't want to say they have nothing to lose. They've got a ton to lose. Um, But this team is pretty much going for it. And from what we know, uh, about this Toronto Blue Jays team is is that they're owned, we've brought this up multiple times, they're owned by Rogers Communications, which is pretty much the Verizon of the United States or the Verizon of Canada, if you will, excuse me. Um, so, you know, they've got a ridiculous amount of money. Now, do they have the farm system to trade away? Well, it all depends. They gave up a ton for Matt Chapman. Um, and, you know, thankfully they were able to sign George Springer in free agency uh, Hyunjin Ryu was a, uh, was a free age, uh, was a uh, free agent acquisition as well, but unfortunately he's out Tommy John surgery. Um, things like that. We expect again, another, uh, potential number one or number two starter coming in because as you did say, uh, Jose Barrios and Kevin Gausman, uh, those two complete inconsistency. That's the, that's the issues right now. So where do you see them going, potentially Castillo or Montas, or neither? I think they'd have to go uh, for one of the two. It's really interesting uh, around uh, the market and really around the rumors that we just constantly keep on hearing, Castillo, 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 Montas. I mean, correct me if I'm I'm wrong, but really hearing, uh, you know, reading everything through social media and whatnot, Montas's name has just completely fell off the radar. Yeah, there's been certain injury concerns and whatnot that you know he was pulled from a start uh, against Houston, I believe, last week or or two weeks ago now. So there's a little bit of issues with the arm and where's his health at and whatnot. But I I certainly think in this next week his his name has to start uh, coming into this. But I, I I think a lot of teams are just eyeing in on Castillo. Uh, and I mean, imagine uh, the Blue Jays with the offense that they have, if they add either Castillo or Montas, certainly let's say Castillo, since he's uh, been the one more talked about, uh, to Manoa, who's been an absolute stud. And if Berrios or Gosman start being a little more, a bit more consistent, uh, that that's a real good uh, playoff rotation uh, that you could have and a real scary offense that, that you do not want to see. I think they ultimately go uh, with Castillo. I think a lot of teams really like him. Uh, certainly there seems like a, a cooling around the market toward Montas and, and questions over injury that I don't know if they all those questions get solved in one week. Yeah, and not only that too, it's also very, very difficult 
uh, to see Kevin Gosman. Uh, he's seven and seven, but he, his ERA is at three. So he's just not getting the run support. That's the problem. And, and they have the bats for the run support. They're just simply not getting it. And it's almost like DeGrom just up north. It's really tough uh, to see what's going on up there with Gosman because he's really been a fantastic acquisition uh, for, for Toronto after they pretty much traded one for one Robbie Ray uh, for Gausman, if you will. And uh, you keep in mind, remember, Gosman used to be uh, in the ALE, so he had a lot of uh, he had a lot of uh, experience with Baltimore, uh, and you know now pitching up there uh, up north of the border and in 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 daunting Toronto. Listen, I can attest, Toronto is a fun fun building. It's also a hard place to play because that building can get very very loud, especially with the dome closed. There's no doubt. And especially in October, north of the border, oh, it gets cold. I can attest to that as well. Um, let's keep on moving forward here, Mike. Uh, we've got about 20 minutes left here with all of our folks on episode number 92. Alongside Mike Zabo, Joey Jarzinka, Rob DeLuca was here with us earlier. Eric Francis was here with us as well. We cannot thank them enough for contributing here tonight to our 92nd episode of the Primetime Rundown. Mike, let's keep on uh, rolling here on uh, on the rundown. And uh, we got a chance to see yesterday David Ortiz, Big Poppy, get inducted into uh, into Cooperstown. Uh, our childhood, or at least mine anyway, is pretty much done. Yours is just beginning. Uh, Jim Cott. Jim Cott was, uh, was inducted as well. Uh, and then, of course, posthumously, uh, Bud Fowler, Minnie Mignoso, uh, Gil Hodges, of course, too, and also Buck O'Neill. My goodness. Let me tell you something, Mike. As, as amazing as it is to see, right, all of these players, of course, David Ortiz as well, Tony Oliva, um, these, 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 these guys really should have their own day, you would think. Mike Zabo, it is time for What Grinds Your Gears. Let us hear it. Mike, take it away. Yeah, it seems like every year we always have this conversation about how ridiculous a lot of the the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame voting and, and results are and, and whatnot. And uh, this is a, a year uh, that's really emblematic of it. I think D David Ortiz getting in a well-deserved and whatnot, a fantastic career, and, and certainly the, the rest of those that you just listed, definitely uh, worthy uh, acquisitions to the Hall of Fame and whatnot. But I mean, it's it's just ridiculous uh, when you, you put David Ortiz in there and the likes of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens aren't because yeah. Ortiz, to a very lesser extent, I believe it was in 2003, to a, a much lesser extent, had situations, steroids, and a failed drug test. So, um, you know, if a lot of these uh, writers want to have this, you know, end-all, be-all if you were involved with steroids, that's it, blacklisted. And whatnot, certainly what's been done to Bonds and Clemens, then, you know, in, if that's your philosophy, then Ortiz shouldn't be in. So we have this real convoluted, uh, hypocritical sort of voting on who should be in the Hall of Fame or whatnot. And, you know, Big Poppies, this lovable character we all see broadcasting and whatnot. And, you know, every, you know, you want to vote him in and as you should. But all these other guys who there've been issues with steroids and whatnot. You want to put an asterisk on their plaque, fine, but they should definitely be uh, in Cooperstown and whatnot. And certainly after Bud Seedlick got inducted as well, who oversaw the whole situation and where the rules in general at that time were very murky around uh, anyway. So 
I think it always comes up every year, but certainly uh, David Ortiz, who came from that era uh, or whatnot, uh, just it always infuriates me how uh, there should be more of these guys into the Hall of Fame, and uh, this, the whole steroid issue just got taken uh, way too over the top and uh, really unfairly excludes these guys that they should uh, be in. Their numbers are Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, no matter what, fine if you want to include an asterisk uh, or whatnot. They should be in. But listen, David by himself, David Ortiz, a fantastic addition uh, uh, to the Hall of Fame, a fantastic guy who had a fantastic career. Um, great that he's in the Hall of Fame, but still some of the, the stuff bugs me about Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame voting. Well, do you remember? No, there's no way you could remember. Maybe you might, actually, because you were seven years old, literally seven years old. Mm-hmm. When, Barry Bron- when Barry Bonds hit home run number 756, right, in, or- in, uh, in AT&T Park, right, now known as Oracle Park, um, when he hit that, the person that caught the baseball was given a king's ransom to get that ball. Now, that baseball is in Cooperstown with a giant asterisk, right? That is the one where I remember that made the news, that made ESPN, that was everywhere. And I remember seeing it going up there. I've been to Cooperstown a ton of times. And great place, by the way. Um, There's an asterisk on it. Now, I understand that, you know, the baseball is not inducted, but the baseball is there, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But every single baseball that when he, you know, after he broke the records of Hank Aaron, that was a new record set. The baseballs are in the Hall of Fame. You would think also the player would be too, especially with Barry Bonds. Um, And now obviously, you know, to look on the other side of it, the whole 2003 scandal was that it was never a positive that was a hundred percent. Like it was never, it was never a hundred percent positive. It was a speculative positive test. It was this, no one ever got hands on it. That's the problem. Yeah. And it was always denied, always denied. Listen, listen, baseball throughout their history just has a problem with with scandals, various scandals throughout baseball's history. And you just look at their Hall of Fame situation where because of certain scandals or voting preferences and whatnot, baseball's all time hits leader, Pete Rose, is not in the Hall of Fame. Their all time home runs leader, Barry Bonds, not in the Hall of Fame. Their their um uh, one Kurt Schilling, keep that in mind too. Kurt Schilling, I mean, Roger one, Clemens, the name. Yeah, Roger the, Clemens, who had the most Cy Young awards uh, out of any pitcher, is not in the Hall of Fame. Three of probably the most excellent uh, guys in terms of their their categories: hits, home runs, and of course Cy Young awards. How we're evaluating pitchers, um, not in the Hall of Fame. And baseball has a serious problem with its history that it, it, you know a lot of people just. Uh, in terms of their voting preferences, just wind uh, up causing a lot of these uh, hypocrisies and who gets in and and who doesn't. And there's just a lot, it leaves a lot of gaps in in, uh, baseball's history that, listen, you hope the veterans committee would figure out, but I don't know how much faith there is in that unless hearts and minds change. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's definitely tough to see um, with that. I, I guess again, you know, that's it. He's in, there's no asterisk. He's got the Boston Red Sox cap on uh, in his, um, in the, uh, in the plaque. Yeah. That's now forever enshrined in Cooperstown. It's really crazy stuff, but it did, uh, it did look like a great ceremony. And now something that actually grinds my gears. Now we typically don't have me grinding my gears pretty much ever, just because I am the host of the primetime rundown. When but Joey I do... grinds his gears, you know there's a real problem. Now there is a problem. Now I grew up um, with, you know, something that really has meant a lot to me, right? And Many years ago, and I know I brought this up on this show before, but many years ago, I had gone to Canton, Ohio, right, to go see uh, Reggie White, John Madden, um, Harry Carson, Troy Aikman be inducted into the Hall of Fame, okay? Now, my father is a diehard Cowboys fan, okay? And I'm a diehard Eagles fan, okay? Uh, so I was there, of course, for Reggie White uh, and, of course, for John Madden. And uh, he was there for Troy Aikman, right? We were there. My, 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 my mother was there as well. We were, it was a family trip, right? One of the last family trips that we had as a family. And, um, you know, there is obviously for the ceremony, it, it has its own day, right? It has its own day, but it also has its own Hall of Fame game, right? Now, I understand, right? Now, if you, Mike, have you ever been to Cooperstown? I have not. Okay, put it on your bucket list. Cooperstown is a short drive away compared to Canton, Ohio, and it is very worthwhile for a day trip. You can't stay there for more than a few days because there's nothing else to do except the Hall of Fame, the Wax Museum, and a couple other restaurants. But I digress there. Um, they have their own day. They have their own dinners. They also have their own game as well. Now, I understand that in Cooperstown, it's a very small town, literally, right? It's very, it's a couple of roads in, a couple of roads out, and that's it. The Hall of Fame is in a little village, right, on Main Street in Cooperstown. Then just a couple of doors down, there's the Wax Museum, whatever, but then they also have just a couple of blocks away, they have the Clark Sports Center, which is where, which is pretty much like a YMCA up there, but outside they have a ton of land where they have the the hall of fame ceremony. The problem that I have with all of this is that it's on a Sunday in the regular season, right? Mm -hmm. There's other games going on. So what if I want, what if I don't have the luxury of having two TVs here? Thankfully you have the luxury of a DVR or on demand or whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is, is that looking back to even hockey, they have their own induction ceremony. They have their own coverage, their own day for it. Why are we incorporating this together? Why should the Red Sox be playing the Blue Jays when they're, when one of their franchise best players is being inducted? Fair I point. can't stand that. Like last year, Derek Jeter, when Derek Jeter was getting inducted, the Yankees were playing. Yeah. This is something that ownership, general manager, coaches, managers, whoever the case may be, should be up there if they desire, if they want to, to honor the past. How about this, folks? Gil Hodges, who put the Mets on the map, who put the Dodgers on the map when he was with Brooklyn, 
He's a World Series champion. Right? Mm -hmm. We remember Gil Hodges' number is retired in left field at City Field. Mm -hmm. Posthumously gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. Bud Fowler, the same thing. Minnie Minuso, the same thing. Buck O'Neill, the same thing. Jim Cott, 83 years old. Fantastic stuff. Tony Oliva, fantastic stuff. All of these players, I've I've heard of all of them. I've never seen Jim Cott play before, but I know of him during his time with the Yes Network. Gil Hodges obviously has been for has been gone for many many years. Tony Oliva, we've known him for a long time. hasn't played. He's older. David Ortiz, we grew up watching him. Mm-hmm. We should be seeing these players, these former athletes have their own day should should be built into the all-star break i i don't i it sure takes a little bit of maneuvering but i don't think it's impossible that that they could build it into the all-star break and on top of it too as we did say with the with the hall of fame game for football um granted they do have a full stadium out in canton but double day field yes i understand that it's double day field but i think it would be pretty cool to have a hall of fame game for baseball and you can have it there. You can have it. We've been there. You make a couple of you make a couple of um, of renovations at Doubleday Field. You can one hundred percent have a Hall of Fame game there. Yeah, or you do what they they did with the Field of Dreams, and like you just said, yeah, have the Hall of Fame game, and you have the ceremony after it yep. or before. Yep. Major League Baseball under Rob Manfred is an absolute joke. Uh, let's keep on moving forward here just for the sake of time. We do want to show a couple of, uh, of photos here, and we're going to stick to – we're not going to go through all of them, but we are going to go through the locals and, my my of course, my favorite team. Mike Zabo, let's start with you. Uh, the Giants, uh, there are some alternate uniforms as well as helmets that have been released by a whole bunch of teams. The Chicago Bears, for one, the Arizona Cardinals, the Jets, the Eagles, the Giants, the Panthers. Um, A lot of good things here, but this is a lot of the marketing stuff. This is a lot of the money stuff. This is all about money. Uh, But the cool thing, though, and I love about the Giants, too, is that, again, uh, I'm not a Giants fan, of course. I hate the Giants with with, with every single inch of my body. But I still think, though, that this uniform – is so fantastic to see it back. It's great to see it back. This is old time stuff. This is great. Yeah. It, it's the the really cool, uh, really nice uh, uh, blue, uh, uh, harking back to the the history of the the New York Football Giants back in you know the eighties and nineties. You know the the helmet with the red stripe down the middle to the the really nice blue. Uh, it's really fantastic jerseys. You know ahead of the fact too that uh, I believe they announced. Uh, uh, two games that are going to have the yep. 80s and 90s style end zones and all other sorts of kinds of things that mark yep. back to the past. So I think really cool that that those uh, jerseys will be uh, will be back there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also cool to see, too, with what the Jets have done. They also have a new stealth helmet as well. And that's really the trend, Mike, that they're going with. Not only the Jets, but also these other teams are going with these black and other colorful helmets. I mean, if you're the you're the Giants and Jets, you're, you're praying to God that these uh, new uniforms uh, uh, they'll bring uh, they look as great as hopefully these teams will be and give them some wins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and again, you look at the Arizona Cardinals too; they'll be wearing it 
for uh, with their alternate uniform three times, as you can see it on the bottom, uh, on the bottom, just uh, just above the ticker there. They'll be doing it against Baltimore, which they'll be unveiling the alternate uniform uh, August 21st, uh, the second week of the preseason, October 9th against Philadelphia, and then October 20th, just 11 days later against the New Orleans Saints. They'll be uh, they'll be wearing that as well. Also, for my Philadelphia Eagles, they, uh, they're having pretty much the black helmet, which is pretty much the exact same thing. They'll be wearing it during their, bla- uh, their back on black nights. Uh, you know, nothing too crazy about that. The Carolina Panthers, I love this one because you got the black with the blue. The Panther there, too. That's really cool. Uh, to see what uh, to see what goes on there, but and then really the one that I love the most, just because my favorite color is orange, is a full scale orange uh, Bears uniform. Mike, your thoughts on this full scale orange uh, orange thing looking like uh, looking like some uh, some cartoon? I, I mean, it looks like uh, your uh, those uh, cr- orange cream sickles that you know we all grew up on and everything. Tampa. <laughs> it's that you know hue of orange uh, i it's i think sometimes the best designs are the simplest and, and this you know it just it, it's just really less is more they drive home the point and it, do, it really does the job well this one yeah i think yeah, the visors are really cool the, the visors on those nice dark helmets especially the jets one yeah uh, it, it's like that uh, you know really nice like that a darker helmet with the visor especially for football that that just looks fantastic and the same thing goes also with the Carolina Panthers helmet too, where it really blends in as well with the uniform as well uh, as that black portion. Imagine you're a quarterback and you're having that helmet staring at you and a linebacker coming at you. My gosh, it's like Darth Vader. It's like Darth Vader making, uh, you know, just starting to move. Uh, you know, like just being able to move, right? Uh, really crazy stuff, but let's get to a couple of sports updates before we get to our kudos and finish off our segment here. Mike, uh, there is something called a, uh, 1952 tops baseball card. Now for you, for those folks that do not know about baseball cards, um, we all know a lot of sports fans know that the 1909 T206 Honus Wagner baseball card. There's only 57 worldwide that were ever made. Now, we'll get into that story another time, but that baseball card fetched a whopping $6.6 million on an auction market just last year. $6.6 million. Now, the reason why we brought up the T206 Honus Wagner card is because that one is the goat of all baseball cards, but there is a new potential target, and this one may be this Mickey Mantle card. Now, it is located here in New York, but from what we are told is that this, this baseball card could potentially be worth close to $6 million. 1952 Mickey Mantle baseball card uh, by Tops. Mike, do you collect baseball cards? I believe I, I do have a collection. Not a lot of well-known players. I got to find my Derek Jeter card that I have down there somewhere because one day that's going to be worth a heck of a lot. Mm, don't say that. Don't say that too loud. Otherwise, they're going to find out where you live and come take it. <laughs> yeah. I know my <laughs> uncle collected a lot. So when he passed away a couple of years ago, we we had a lot of that collection. Uh, he was okay. a big uh, baseball fan growing up too. So. Yeah. Uh, we have some of that, and then like the the couple that I have lying around that includes Derek Jeter. We got to find those and get those in order. Yeah, well, there might be, there might be some other folks waiting by your door in about uh, three minutes. So uh, yeah, so uh, so be careful, 
uh, with what you say there. But the rare Mickey Mantle card could potentially be going up to auction beyond that Honus Wagner baseball card, which went for, as we'd said, a whopper of $6.6 million. And again, the reason why is because that Honus Wagner baseball card, a bad, bad tobacco company printed something without Honus Wagner's permission and that's why it's worth a gazillion dollars let's keep on moving forward here mike our show has completely come to a close but before that st john's in florida state will be playing at fla live arena florida live arena home of the florida panders um on december 17th uh in a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a tournament if you will or, or a set of two games if you will uh on the 17th the other game will be university of central florida ucf and Missouri uh, in the other game. So that'll be a fun uh, one-day event. And, uh, yeah, let's get to our kudos. Mike, kudos. Uh, going back to our alma mater and the aforementioned uh, St. John's now, I just want to uh, wish good luck out to uh, Rachel Daly and the England uh, women's national team who will be competing for a European Championship uh, uh, final spot tomorrow as they take on Sweden at 3 p.m., uh, good luck to them as they've uh, the last couple weeks have uh, continued to make a charge through the uh, the Euros uh, tournament and are going up for a spot in the finals tomorrow. So good luck to them. Mm, absolutely. Well, Rachel Daly, as we know, one of the best soccer players that St. John's University in Queens has ever, ever seen. My kudos goes to someone that has been such a close person to me during my time at St. Francis, Brooklyn, when I was there. And that goes out to former, former associate head coach for our women's basketball team, St. Francis, Brooklyn, Jennifer Leadham, who is one of the best Franklin Pierce University Raven basketball players to ever live, has broken a ton of records, has been named the head coach for the St. Peter's Peacocks. And as we know, the Peacocks, they made a lot of noise in the men's side, but now the women's side, she has now uh, earned the top spot and the top head coaching job uh, for the St. Peter's Peacocks in the MAC. So congratulations to Jen Leadham, one of the best that I know, and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. And now, one of the reasons why I'll have to make a pit stop out in Jersey City to go see an old friend and an old colleague of mine. So, uh, yes, that is definitely something that uh, that is uh, very well deserved uh, for a fantastic woman as well. So our show comes to a close. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, we get a chance to see tomorrow. Our good friends from the Essential Wrestling Podcast will be getting Episode number 111 underway, beginning at 5 p.m. tomorrow, right here on the Eastern Observer. Be sure to join Al Carl, Gary Mihefi, and John DeCani, John Smith, as they get you all prepared for everything wrestling as well as WWE SummerSlam. They'll get you ready for that starting tomorrow at 5 p.m. on the following platforms, Odyssey, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Also, as we did say, there will be the SummerSlam special that will take place on Saturday, July 30th, beginning at 2 p.m. Join the guys, Al Carl, Gary Mihefi, and John DeCani, John Smith, as we get you all set to go for WWE SummerSlam, which takes place on Saturday afternoon, beginning at 2 p.m. right here on the Eastern Observer. That will take place out in Nashville uh, in Tennessee. So it should be a ton of fun. 
Well, Mike, it's been a fun episode number 92. We will be back with you next week for episode number 93 right here on the Eastern Observer. For my man, Mike Zabo, for Eric Francis of Sportsnet, and of course, our old friend, Rob DeLuca, who decided to join us tonight before Wheel of Fortune happened and before that went on the air. I'm Joey Drozinka. For all of us here at the Blackjack Media Group, we will all see you next Monday night right here for another edition of the Primetime Rundown. So long, everybody.